Victory in the face of certain defeat. And if there was a subtitle, it would be that. Great leadership from an average king. He wasn't a great king. He was average. He wasn't a poor king. He was average. But he did one or two really fantastic things. And that's what I want to look at today. So I'm going to read through this chapter. It's 30 verses. Yo. Okay, strap yourself in. This is going to be good. I really believe that this is going to be helpful for people. Before we even start, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you, Lord, that uh, we can come into your house this morning. We can worship you. We can praise you. We can, we can worship you as we give. Father, we can get something out of your word. Lord, we thank you that your word isn't dead. It isn't irrelevant. It isn't useless. It isn't just historical. But Lord God, it's living and breathing. And Father, it has the the capacity to cut to the heart of us, Lord God, to speak to our situations today, even though it was written thousands of years ago. Father, we pray that this morning our hearts would be open to hear what you've got to say to us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You ready? Anyone? Ready? Great. Okay. It comes, this chapter comes from 2 Chronicles or 2 Chronicles chapter 20. That's the chapter you don't want to miss when you're reading Chronicles. There's a lot of great stuff there, but as I say, if you miss this, you you don't pick up the story anywhere else. And I'm going to read it and then go into it a little bit. So verse 1, good place to start. After this, obviously talking about chapter 19. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meonites, this is what I'm talking about. This is difficult language. You need to get through the difficulty of these things. So the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meonites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Turn to your neighbor and say Jehoshaphat. Just say it again quickly. I'm making a point. It's not easy. Okay. So when I get it wrong, there needs to be grace in this place. Okay. Jehoshaphat. The Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meonites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. The powerful nations, now I don't know if you know this, but those nations there, those underlined ones, the Moabites and the Ammonites, uh, in the Bible there was a story where, where God sovereignly destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. They were a city that was living in absolute, in, in, in a way that is shocking and disgusting, uh, doing anything that they please whatsoever to anyone um, in terms of murder and sexually, and it was just a horrific place to live. And God took a couple of people out of that city before he destroyed it. And one of the people he took out was Lot. He took out Lot, his wife, and uh, his daughters. And, uh, and they went with Abraham, and they parted ways. Now, his wife, as we know, was that pillar of salt turned around, wasn't meant to look back, but she did, and she didn't make the journey. But him and his daughters made the journey. And what happened was they got to a place. Now, I'm, I'm just giving you the thumbnail sketch here of what happened. But they got to a place, and they doubted the provision of God. They doubted that God could use them. They, they were looking back and saying, we had all this stuff, and it, maybe it wasn't the best, but it was something. Now we're stuck here, and we've got nothing. And they doubted what God had for them in terms of their future. And so they did something which would have been very acceptable in Sodom and Gomorrah. They were with their father. Right. Anyway, so they were, and uh, they had children. 
those armies that now are fighting against the people of God descended from Moab, one of the children, and from Ben Ami, the other child. So those children were, you know, they were trying to make their own way and trying to forge their own future. And so they had these children and uh, they got their father drunk and did that sort of thing. And then they had these kids and these kids grew up and they actually fathered nations themselves. And these nations fought against the armies of God. So it's quite a, quite a disturbing story. But those are the people now. These are mighty nations on the face of the planet at this stage now. They've grown and it's been many years. And uh, you've got these serious forces fighting. And the message that the king receives is that these nations, with some of this other nation, the Meonites, is coming against you. Some men came. Oh, don't you love the movie 300? Except the dodgy parts. <laughs> but that's what I think of, eh? Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Eden, from the other side of the sea. It's already there. It's already there. We can see them. The scouts that are on the mountaintops, the scouts that are looking for armies that are attacking, they've seen this army. This is not a small army. This is a massive army. And it's coming and it'll be here shortly. I'm just letting you know. This was a scary thing. It's frightening that he was facing certain defeat against a vast army. I don't think there's many of us in this room who know what it's like to face a vast army or to face an army of any sort. I, I certainly have not fought in our armed forces, but uh, thankfully they, they did away with the, the, years, the year and the years of service that people had to do after matric. But I've got no doubt there'll be people in here who were a part of that and who have seen that sort of action. And, uh, and, and, and I can only imagine how devastating. The only idea that I have of that is paintball. I played paintball. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to be a hero. This is going to be amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to shoot everyone. I'm going to aim perfectly. I'm going to knock people. I'm not going to be afraid. I got there. I put on my mask. I realized how hard these things hit you. And I just crouched behind a barrel and thought, man, if these were real bullets, I would be in big trouble. And that's what these guys are obviously facing. And obviously in these days, it wasn't bullets, but it was a vast army. I just remember sitting behind a barrel thinking, I'm actually terrified. I don't want to stick my head out and see who's there because I'll lose it. <laughs> and so it, it's a difficult thing to imagine. But some of you have the firsthand experience, but not all of us have got that. But what all of us in this room share and what all of us have is devastating news. Devastating news that's come at us that a loved one has died. You know what? That's like a vast army coming against you when you're not expecting it. Here's this king doing his own thing, minding his own business. The messengers come and they give him this bad news. And it shakes him where he stands. For us, devastating news is very often that vast army. That vast army is that news that you suddenly no longer have that job that you thought you were going to have. That job that you thought you were going to maybe retire in or progress in. All of a sudden, someone else got the promotion. All of a sudden, you've been retrenched. That's a vast army coming against you. That doctor that sits down with you and gives you that face like there's bad news. Brace yourself. That's a vast army. When you wake up one morning and you realize that your marriage is almost over and you actually never saw it coming. That's a vast army coming against you. What do you do when you have all hell breaking loose in one area of your life? 
How do you respond to a vast army? In times of battle, this is the question you've got to ask. Which way do you turn? Which way do you go? Do you run away from God and His help? Do you run away from the things you know you should do, but they're difficult to do right now? Or do you run into His house and into His safety, into His refuge? Let's take a look and see what Jehoshaphat does, because there's some stuff we can learn there. Alarmed, notably. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. What a brilliant response. This is why I say he may not have been a great king, but he made some great decisions. And in the face of this kind of news that, you know, meant that your wife and your kids were not going to live to see another week. That's how devastating it is. This was the decision that he made. He called the nation of Israel, the people of God, to fast and pray. Now, interestingly enough, and this is just a side note, uh, the king, King Jehoshaphat, he made good decisions when he was under massive pressure. And I don't know about you, but I often find myself in a similar place where when there's a big decision to be made, you'll find me maybe on my knees. And then it's like, God, there's a serious thing now. Now I'm in crisis mode. I need you. But for all the day-to-day stuff, we're just happy to just do it on our own. And you know what? I can do this. When I get stuck, then I'm going to call God to give me a hand out of the pit. But until I fall into the hole, I'll be fine. And that's exactly the kind of king he was. He came short in the day-to-day decisions. He gave his son in marriage. Now, you may not recognize these names. Ahab and Jezebel. You might have heard Jezebel, okay? That's, you don't want to name your daughter Jezebel, probably, okay? I'm just giving you a heads up if you still have to name your kids. Uh, don't call her Jezebel. Uh, Ahab himself is noted as the most evil king Israel ever had. In the history of Israel, he was the most evil king and noted for it. And, uh, and he married this lady, Jezebel, who was uh, equally as evil and destructive as she was. So, so now King Jehoshaphat actually gave his son in marriage to their daughter. Now that's a stupid decision. That is not a clever thing to do. But he did it for political reasons. Because he wanted to get in there politically with Ahab and Jezebel. He also allied himself with King Ahab against a big city called Ramoth-Gilead. These are not important things. There's no test later. But the point is this. He made allies with an enemy of God, with someone who was notably the most evil king Israel ever had. He allied himself with him. And then not only that, Jehoshaphat went into business. He went into a business venture producing ships with him. But the Lord wrecked every single ship before one of them got to sail for trade. Because the same reason, he didn't consider God with his business deals. Now you say, well, those sound like big things. Those don't sound like little day-to-day decisions that he didn't consult God on. But you know what? If it was today, those decisions would be like, who do I spend my time with at break? Who do I spend my time with after work? Where do I find myself on a Saturday night? That's those decisions. It's just relationship decisions and it's business decisions. That's the end of the day. So we say, well, I'm going to do this and this and this for business. Do we consult God? Not often. And so he made these decisions on a day-to-day basis, but they were not clever decisions. But when it came to the crunch, he seemed to make a couple of big ones. So, 
we need to learn. This is what I get from this. We need to learn how to depend on God for the big and the small things in our lives. It's a practice we need to start getting into. If you aren't in the habit of seeking God, even for small things, then it's something that we can so easily begin to practice. Let's pick it up in verse 4. The people of Judah, now he's called them all together to pray and fast. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. Now he does something. He prays. This prayer that he prays was a game changer. This prayer that he prays now in this situation, after calling everyone together, after the nation praying and fasting, he's calling them into an assembly, and he begins to pray. Let me tell you something. It was this that changed the course of what was going to happen that day. And I think there's four things there, four key elements I want to pull out of this prayer. And so we're going to go through them one by one. Verse 6, so he called them together and he prayed and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Do you notice what he's doing there? Straight away, he's giving himself a healthy perspective. Straight away, he's saying, God, you're bigger than this. This is overwhelming. My family might not live to see tomorrow or the next day. But God, you're amazing. You're big. He got perspective. He declared God's power. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. God, you are huge. He's declaring that God knows what he's doing and he's in control, even if the circumstances are telling him something else. The second key in his prayer was to hand the situation over to God, committing the situation. And he explains the need to God. And he lays it out so clearly. And he carries on. Verse 7. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. That's just, you know, the point of what he's doing there is he's just laying it out for God. And he's saying, here's the situation. So first of all, God, you're so massive. Lord, we know this is in your hand. We know this is not beyond your power. We know this isn't beyond your knowledge. You know what's happening and you're bigger than this. But God, here's the situation right now. And if you are facing a vast army, if you are facing something which is, which is threatening to take you down, spiritually or physically or in whatever way, relationally, this is a good pattern to follow. Declare the bigness of God over your situation. 
And secondly, explain it to God. And people say, why do I need to explain, my, my, why do I need to explain it in such detail to God? Doesn't God know everything already? Yeah, God does know everything. But you know what? As a, as a parent sometimes, you can understand this. Your, your kids, you want them to ask you for things. You don't just want to be giving them things all the time and, and, you know, going into your house. Okay, let's watch a movie. Okay, let's do this. Let's make this. You actually, you want your kids to say, Dad, this is the reason why I want this and this and this. Do you mind if I have this? Yes, you can. It's not a just have everything you want. Just have anything you want. Although you know that they're going to ask you for that, those things. It's a father-son relationship. Everything is relational when it comes to God. And so we do, and we spill our heart, and we see that. It's funny, even Jesus did that. It's quite amazing. And all through the scriptures, you see people, and they, and they do this. They commit their plans to God. God, this is the situation that we find ourselves in now. The third key in this prayer was admitting that they couldn't do anything by themselves. Take a look here. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That's a big thing for the king to admit. We've come together. All I know how to do is to get everyone together, to call you to fast and pray, but beyond that, I'm actually quite useless. I can't do any more for you than that. And there's something special there. He makes it clear that they are completely dependent on God's power to get through this crisis. That's something we can very much apply to our own lives as well. How often do we want to solve the problems that we find ourselves in instead of handing them to God, knowing that He can? All the people are scared and hungry. It's difficult to put yourself maybe in that situation, but they've come together, they've been fasting, so they're probably hungry, they're starving, they're scared. They've come together and everyone is afraid. And uh, you've got these guys. They've come together to seek help from God. Jehoshaphat has just prayed. And now, the fourth key that we find in the prayer is here. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Maybe you didn't notice what the fourth key is. Wait. Wait on God. Stand and listen. That's something we can learn from these people standing before God. How often do we come to God and we rattle off our wish list, I mean our prayer list, and we ask Him for all the things that we need and all the things that we think we need. And then we say amen and we go on to the next thing. Well, that's better than not doing anything at all. That's better than not bringing it to God at all. But you know what? Here's the thing. God actually wants to speak to us. God actually wants to guide us. And God actually wants to lead us in these things. The whole message that Jesus came with was that God is not far off. He's near. He's not distant. He's not over there. He's right with you where you are. And that is an important thing for us to note. We had a situation a little while ago, Sarah and myself, um, a few years ago now, where money was tight. And um, tighter. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Money was tight, and we, we were kind of thinking, how do we supplement our income here? How do we get a little bit of extra money into the house? We don't know how to kind of keep up with all the payments and that sort of thing. And, and you know, it was like a gift from God. Somehow we, we formed a relationship with someone who um, was, was in this business, this kind of business model that was 
um, it's, it's kind of vague to me now, but it, it was dealing with medical stuff. And it was a, a kind of a, a revolutionary type of medicine that, that they had all these stats and graphs and pages on and, and presentation. It was so brilliantly done. And this thing could help some of the most severe medical conditions. And we knew friends with those. And so it just, you know, it just looked so good. And, and you know, we thought this is, this is amazing. You know, we've been praying. We've been asking God for a way to somehow do this. We didn't see a way. I mean... You know, we can't, we're not that crafty. We can't make things and sell them on the side. How do you make some extra money? And this thing just came along. And we were like, wow, this is amazing. But, you know, something was just uncomfortable in both of us. And, um, you know, they come in the BMW and it's a fantastic presentation and you know there's money and, and, and something just does not feel right. And I remember us going away and I just love the book of Proverbs. I can't get enough of the book of Proverbs. I think it's wisdom is just infinite and just stretches on for all time. Um, it's timeless. But at that stage, I was reading the book of Proverbs, and, uh, and, and, and we were like, you know, this is such a good thing, and maybe we can even help our friends who are struggling with this stuff and make money on the side. I mean, that's a win-win, right? And like, God will be glorified, and this is good. And if we make money, we can even give more to the church, so this is really going to work well. Um, and we were in that stage, but something just didn't feel right. And uh, I remember reading Proverbs chapter 28. And there's two verses that are almost right after each other. And the first one was this. The trustworthy person will get a rich reward, but a person who wants quick riches will get into trouble. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's probably for someone else. <laughs> but Lord, if you have something for me, I'm ready and waiting for a word from you. And two verses later in verse 22, it says this. Greedy people will try to get rich quick, but don't realize they're headed for poverty. And you know, that's it. You, you, you can't really argue too long with that. You know, God give us something. We really want something from you. It's just not that. So we had to just cut it off right then and there. Make a phone call, cut this thing off and stop it. And you know, of course, it's like, no, you're stupid. You're crazy. How can you not? Look at all this. No, this is what we believe God has said. And a word from God is worth more than anything else. It is more trustworthy than any person. It is more reliable than any other word you can possibly get. And so God doesn't hide his guidance from us. He wants us to trust him and seek him in the middle of our difficult situations. He went so far as to say, if you seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me. If you're serious about finding me, you're going to find me. I'm not playing hide and seek with you. Just be serious about finding me. So this was the story and... Um, and they had prayed, and then they stood there. And then God spoke into their situation. From verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jahaziel, son of, son of, son of, son of a Levite, and descendant of Asaph. As he stood in the assembly, he said, so the fact that he's a Levite means that he's a priest. So he's someone who, who would have been honoring God at that stage. So, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. That's incredible. 
You know, that phrase, do not be afraid. If you had to look it up or do some sort of concordance search, you're going to find it 76 times in the Bible. That's a lot of time for one phrase to be used. And uh, there's one common thread that runs every time that phrase is used. Do not be afraid. The common thread is this. There was reason to be afraid. So if you find yourself in a situation and it's uncomfortable and you are afraid and you don't know the way forward, then this is, let it be comforting to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The battle is the Lord's. Here's an out there thought that might change the way you see your challenges. If you're never afraid, it's unlikely that you're going to see God's miraculous provision. Being afraid means that you really need God to come through for you. And those are the times you push into Him and see Him move. Your crisis is an opportunity for God to move. Think about it. If you've always had enough money, well, you're never going to need to see God provide in your life. You're never going to get to experience what it's like to have a little to trust God and to see God come through for you. But your crisis gives God an opportunity to move in your life. We don't pray for crises, please. Don't hear me wrong. We want God to move in our lives. We don't necessarily want the crisis. But the bottom line is this. You're not going to seek God in the crisis if you don't have the crisis. And there are aspects to the nature and character of God that you will never know if you don't go through difficult times. So, God answered and he told them, do not be afraid or discouraged because the battle was his. And he repeated himself, do not be afraid or discouraged. For some people here, I honestly believe that's exactly what you need to hear. And maybe that's the only reason you you got here this morning. Maybe you're feeling uncertain about your family or your finances or your job or your health. Do not be afraid or discouraged today. The battle is God's. God goes on to give them some instruction. He says this, Tomorrow, march down against them. Eek. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Whew. Take up your positions. Uh-oh. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. I don't know if you picked anything up from this. God doesn't tell them how he's going to do this thing. That's pretty scary. You've got hundreds of thousands of people now fearing literally for their lives from armies way bigger than them. And God says, don't be worried. Don't be discouraged. Just march. So get your gear on. You know, but I thought, God, you said we're not going to have to fight this battle. Get your gear on. Get ready to fight. Go up and meet them. You're going to march against them. But why do we need to march against them if you're going to do it anyway? What's the point? Because you're going to see what I can do. That's the power of what's happening here. You get to see what God's going to do. And here's the amazing thing. That was enough for the people. They believed God's word just as he said them. And they did what God said they must do. We've got to be the same. 
having faith in God's word in our situation, even though we don't know exactly how God is going to sort this thing out. That is so critical. If God has spoken to you and said, it's going to be okay, you will get to the other side. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, don't worry, I'm with you. I'm getting you through there. If you've got a word from God in a difficult situation, hang on to that word from God. That is all you need. And God told them, stand firm. Now, our battle isn't necessarily against flesh and blood as theirs was. But in Ephesians, you see that same phrase, stand firm. You might have remembered that now. And it speaks about our battle not being against flesh and blood. And it says, put on the armor of God. And after you've put on all the armor of God, what must we do? Stand firm. Don't say, ah, God will sort it out. God said he was going to fight the battle. No, no, no. Get dressed. Do what you need to do, and then God will do what he needs to do. God works, you can write this down, in our working. God works in our working. He didn't say to them, well, you know what, I've got this, you just sleep. Set your alarm for 12, and by the time you get up, it'll all be done. No, no, no. Get up and go. Verse 18, is this helpful? All right. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. They did what God said here. They weren't messing around. Early in the morning, they left. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood, stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. Now, that's a good thing. I mean, here's the king. It's a good thing that he stood up and he said that. He reminded the people of what God had said to them the previous day. We've got to remind ourselves of the promises of God in our lives to get through our vast armies as well. It's very unlikely that that army had a good night's sleep. They're fasting, they're praying, they know that war, it's tomorrow. It's difficult to put yourself in that situation, but they they cannot have slept well. I can imagine all of them just holding their children the whole night long, just listening for the sound of horses or walking or shouting or anything, just eyes open the whole night, not in just such a difficult space to be in. I bet they were thinking, the next day and wondering if God was really going to fight for them. I bet they were wondering what that even meant. How was this going to look? The devil always tries to sow doubt into the work of God. And when God does something, when God says something into your life, I can promise you this, it's not going to be a long time before the devil comes and he whispers in your ear, did God really say that? Did that guy who stood up, I mean, who knows what he was doing in his private life. Maybe he just had you know, something bad to eat, you know, and he was saying all this stuff. But how do you know that was God speaking through that guy? What if he got it wrong and now all of us are going out to fight this battle and God isn't going to fight for us? And, and isn't it just like the enemy to come and just to say, are you sure that's true? Are you sure you heard right? Are you sure you made that decision? Are you sure God's really got your back in this thing? And how fantastic that the Kim came and just reminded them of the, of the promises God had made. Remind yourself of the words of God in your situation and hold on to them. Verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men 
to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for His love endures forever. I mean, this guy is making some good decisions. He appointed people to sing and praise God. He put worshipers where? At the front of the army. That does not seem like a clever thing to do. You've got a war to fight here. I mean, you, you need to be trusting God big time now. You're saying, no, no, God said we're not going to have to fight this thing. So you guys, you there, the tambourine player, you there, go to the front. If nothing else, you'll be the cannon fodder. You'll be the guys who get taken out first and we'll all get, have time to run away, you know. But you, you go there. You can just imagine these guys playing their violins and walking and just being like, oh, Lord, please come through for us. And that's what it was, you know. And he put the worshippers at the front of the army. How incredible is that? And you know what they were worshipping about? They weren't saying, God, thank you that you're going you're gonna to rescue us. What were they saying when they worshipped God? They praised Him for the splendor of His holiness. They were just thanking God for being God. That's encouraging. That's a challenge. You know, we want to thank God for everything that He's done for us. No, no, God's worthy of praise whether He's done anything or nothing for us in our situation. He's worthy of praise. And He appointed these guys. I think it was a great move of faith on the king's part. He didn't know what he was up against or how the battle would go. Only that God said it was his battle. And he still praised God before the battle. I think some of us need to learn from that. Because we only want to worship God once the battle's won. But here's a new way of doing things. You praise God and you worship God before the battle. What if the victory takes months or years in your life? Praise God now in faith and keep praising Him. That's what this is saying. Verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. So when did this happen? As they began to sing and praise. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think that just snuck its way into the Bible. But as they began to sing and worship and praise God, God began to do things. And this is a, a critical key, I believe, for sometimes our breakthrough, is that it's just so difficult to praise God when we're going through the difficult time, when we're facing the vast army. But as they began to praise and sing, the Lord brought about a victory. God was true to His word. He confused and set an ambush for His enemy. How often does God seem to come through for us in the strangest and most unexpected ways? And who would have expected that? You've got these guys all geared up for war and they go to the edge of the gorge and they're watching and as they begin to worship, the guys start attacking themselves on the bottom. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And we think, yeah, but that's not logical. And how many times in our own situations we go, no, no, God can't do it this way. He, he's obviously going to do it this way. No, no, God can do some very strange things to bring about a victory. So, verse 23. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Sire to destroy them and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from, from Sire, Seir, they helped to destroy one... They helped. They're so kind. <laughs> Thanks for that. They helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw 
only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Beraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the Valley of Baraka to this day. I think it means blessed or praised. The Valley of Blessing is what it means. So, fantastic. They worship God before the victory. They get the plunder. They worship God after the victory. This is a fantastic model for us to, to aspire to. Don't you love how they were blessed so abundantly? I mean, one day... You're fearing for your children's lives. The next day, you've actually, you can't, carry, you can't carry away how much plunder there is and the blessing of God in their lives. Absolutely brilliant. Verse 27, and it ends here. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, I bet. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps, lutes, and trumpets. The fear of God... Here's the important thing. The fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. You know that our victories are an incredible witness and a testimony to all those that are around us. When we are faced with a vast army and we overcome it in the same way, it's a testimony to your colleagues, to your family, to your children, to your parents. It's an incredible witness. They are powerful stories of the way that God works. When God provides a victory in our lives, no matter how big or how small, we must. It's our responsibility. It's the least we can do is to share that with the people around us because it shows people we've got struggles, but we have one who fights for us. The very last verse, which is verse 30. The fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of of the countries. Uh, I think that's already there. And the Lord fought against their enemies. So you might recently have experienced a victory in your life. That's a good reason to praise God. You might recently have had the news of a vast army against you. You may be in need of a victory. That's a good reason to praise God. That's the bottom line here. We need to worship God, not just when things are good, but when there's an army against us. And this gives us such a fantastic model and a way to a way to deal with that army. I hope this has been helpful. I want to do something. Now, we have precisely three minutes, <coughs> Ingrid. Can I have the worship team up here very quickly? I think it's good sometimes just to have a tiny bit of response to a message. You know, I'm just like you. When I go and I listen to someone preach, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's average, sometimes it's bad. But whatever happens, when I walk out and I get my cup of coffee, you need to jog my memory quite hard to get me back to where we were there. Unless you can make concrete something that happened in here. Unless we can somehow take what we've heard and say, okay, well, where am I right now? Maybe I need to worship God for the victory that he's already given me. Or maybe I need a victory so badly, I need to worship God. 
Maybe this is how I've got to pray. Maybe I've got to make sure that I know that my problems are in the right place, that God is bigger, that they're in His hands. Maybe I need to wait on the Lord because I've been just coming at Him with everything that I want and all the ways that I think He should answer my prayers. But maybe there's a space where I should just give myself five or ten minutes in a day and just say, okay, God, what do you want? What do you want to say? How do you want to lead me in this thing? Whatever it is, I believe that everyone here has got something that they can do with this incredible story.